Welcome to Channeled, our podcast about creating more together. Today, we're talking with Brenda Barker-Scott, an organizational development professional with over 20 years of experience teaching and consulting in both the private and public sectors. She's a groundbreaker with a passion for designing humanistic organizations and has led a number of ambitious system-wide organizational efforts with governments and the private sector. Brenda is also a lead instructor for the Queen's University Industrial Relations Centre programs, and today we're going to talk about how organisational design helps us all create more together. Welcome, Brenda. Well, thank you very much, Nancy. It's very it's, nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So I'd like to begin with asking you to maybe help us understand what organisational design is and what it involves, because it's a it's a term that people throw out there, but I'm not really sure everybody knows what it means. Right, right. Well, that's a big question. Um, and uh, I teach a program in organizational design, and I think it's fair to say that by the beginning, by the end of the program, people have a very different view of what organization design is um, than when they start. <laughs> That's good. And uh, yeah, I, I often start my program by asking people to reflect on an organization that they admire and to talk about that organization and, more importantly, why they uh, admire that organization. And um, uh, when they talk about why they admire organizations, they really talk about capabilities and so what the organization is good at. So they talk about, you know, whether it's a service capability like Disney or an innovation capability like uh, Google um, or um, uh, organizations that do a really, really good job of nurturing their talent and uh, creating a really wonderful employee experience. And so um, they really prove my point for me. Because organizational design is not about shaping boxes and lines on an org chart. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, that's the byproduct of organizational design. You actually do change your reporting structure. Um, but that's certainly not what design is. Um, one, of my, one of my students once talked about org design. Uh, she sort of said the essence of it is that um, we make the right work easy. Hmm, I like that. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I like that because what that means is that, first of all, we need to figure out what the right work is. Yeah. And that is the most important work of organizational design is sort of figuring out what do we need to be good at. So who are we as an organization? What's our purpose? What are we meant to do? And what must we uniquely do uh, hmm. within the wider system? And then given all of that, um, then what do we need to be good at? So is this concept new or is there a lot of history around it? Oh, well, people have been organizing since people have been people. <laughs> and um, so very simply, you know, organizational design is how we group and um, how we associate with each other um, around a, a, a common purpose. And, and lots of times people, um, they associate for just belongingness and fit. And so there's something that's important to us in terms of a value system or um, a core purpose, something that we belong to. I want to go back to what you said about belonging and fit, because, of course, um, so many of us spend a great deal of time at work. You know, we're there for eight hours a day, maybe more, right? And, of course, with now being connected technologically, we, you know, we're still tied by our phone to work and, you know, people doing work at home. And so that belonging and fit must matter more than ever in today's technology age. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the whole um, understanding of what organizations are is really changing. 
And so we used to have this mechanistic view of an organization, and people would come to work, and they'd perform their part, and they would live within a box. And um, they were literally, you know, boxed in. Cubicles. <laughs> Cubicles, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and so the organizations were really designed for efficiency. And so there was always a brain center, and that was the leadership, and the leaders understood um, what the work was supposed to be, how it was supposed to be done, and people were asked to contribute by truly obeying, right, performing their role. Um, today, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, organizations um, are social systems, and so they're comprised of people, and people are what make the organization go. It's how we take our people, develop our people, link them so that they can leverage their talents and share their talents. So the organizations that I study that are really humanistic and high-performing are the ones that spend a lot of time really helping folks connect with, in a very, very deep way, in a profound way, what's our purpose? What is it that we're meant to do? And what is it that uniquely we can do? So people feel that sense of purpose and pride, and it uh, connects them. Mm. And then they really do a good job of helping to create a sense of community. Yeah. And so they understand that the lunchroom matters, right? right? And because that's where people can connect. Right. And that's interesting because I, I read recently that there are now three generations in the workforce. So you've got demographics to deal with. So maybe somebody wants the, you know, the um, arcade or, you know, a different kind of thing. How, how, how do organizations deal with that with three generations? Yeah. Well, um, I've always called myself an old millennial. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I really do sort of embody the spirit of um, millennials. And, of course, all people are different. Um, but there is generational research that shows that because we live, we've grown up in different contexts, mm -hmm. that those contexts really do shape um, how we see the world and how we interact with the world. And what I love so much about millennials is that they have a very high expectation for their work lives. Um, you know, the research suggests that they want they want meaningful work. You know, they, they want bad, they get a bad rap for that. <laughs> they do get a bad rap for that. Um, but I love it. I think organizations need to embrace it. So they want they want to understand their purpose. They want to do something that's useful. They want to have a voice. They want to work with um, with people that can contribute. It doesn't matter about where they are in the hierarchy. Um, they want to connect with people across the organization. Again, it doesn't matter what level of the hierarchy or what department they're in. And so I just, I just um, think it's so important to embrace these principles. And they want to have a relationship with their bosses that is more than just sort of the bosses telling them what to do, but the boss is really a coach. Right. And um, they're, getting, they're getting feedback, and that feedback is around... Um, you know, how do, how do I improve? Um, uh, where do I need to focus my attention? And also, where, what's next for me? And that's, again, why they get a bad rap, because um, the idea is that, uh, that millennials don't want to stay in a job for 30 years and collect the watch. Um, but I often say to folks in my class is that, you know, in the old world, our stability and our security was, um, you know, seniority. Yeah. Um, and millennials know that that's just not... It's just not possible anymore. That's just not the way organizations think about their, um, their, their talent. And so the only way that you can remain relevant and gain security is by learning. 
right? Yeah. And the very best way to learn is to move and to have all kinds of different experiences. So that's why millennials, they're, they're really bright. <laughs> uh, that's why millennials want to, to move and get different experiences is because they want to learn and, and remain relevant. Well, and they, they expect to have many careers over their lifetime, right? As opposed to an older generation that maybe, you know, got in with this company and that's where they're going to stay. Yes, absolutely. And so they are so well suited to today's world order where we need to have learning organizations that are continually adapting um, and responding to whatever the needs are. And, they're, you know, I, I have not worked in an organization in the last 20 years, and it's been, you know, amplified in the last number of years that hasn't had to really change their mandate. But what about their older colleagues? I mean, you know, do you ever see some resentment of, you know, these young millennials, they just, they want my job, right? Right. So that's what I think resistance to change is, is not understanding or not being energized for change. And so um, I think, you know, I don't believe that people resist for the sake of resisting. Um, I love... um, uh, Rick Maurer, who wrote this wonderful book, Let's see if I can remember the name, a number of years ago, I think it was called Beyond, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, Beyond the Walls of Resistance, or something like that. Yeah. And he identified three types of resistance, um, and I sort of think of them as three types of needs people have. And so there's at the base, um, the most um, sort of prevalent type of resistance, but the one that's easier to manage is informational resistance. So people just don't understand the why. Like, why do we need to change? They just don't see it. So they don't understand the problems or the opportunities um, that uh, the organization needs to kind of um, attend to and and embrace. Um, And so that's easy. People need information and perspective. Um, Then there's personal resistance. And that's, that's a very different kind of resistance. And that's the what's in it for me type of resistance. And so there people really need to be heard. They need to be understood, and they need to have a relationship with their boss, you know, to have these conversations so that they feel, you know, a sense that their needs are being attended to, um, but more importantly, what they know is being attended to. You know, often they have uh, developed the practices um, that are embedded in the organization currently um, with a lot of heart and soul, and they're very meaningful, or they know their clients intimately and want to make sure that those clients are going to be attended to in the the proper way, that their needs are going to be met. And so they they really want to make sure that what they know um, is um, incorporated into the process so that it's, um, you know, their information or perspective is heard and understood. Um, And so that's what people need. They need they need to have that connection um, around voice and transparency of the process and a relationship with their boss. Mm-hmm. Um, the third kind of resistance is the most difficult, and I see this all the time, and this is the cultural resistance. Right. And cultural resistance means that people might even like the change, and they might think that it is where the organization should go, but they don't think it's possible. And cultural resistance often develops when um, the organization has tried to change many times before and hasn't. Right. Or when people don't believe that the leaders are committed to the change or are going to do the hard work to persist and make it happen. Yeah. Because it is hard work. Because it is hard work, yes. So what we'll often do at the front end of a change strategy or a design strategy is we'll sort of step back and we'll take a look at the types of resistance. And then we want to create a process that honors them. And so what people need for cultural resistance is they need to see their leaders front and center 
and they need to see it before they believe it. So we need to actually, if we're designing a collaborative organization, we need to have a collaborative process. Right. <laughs> if we're designing an innovative organization, we need to be innovative and generative in the, in the process. Uh, it can't just be talk. Yeah. It's got to also be action. Um, and then if there's personal uh, resistance, we need to engage all of the supervisors and managers so that they're equipped and ready to support their people. And if it's informational resistance, we need to make sure people understand the why, the what, and the how. And so um, design is a social process. It's not just a physical, let's change the boxes. It is a process of engaging with people um, to, to move them along, uh, to help them to see, and to help them be confident in the process, and um, to help them persist and do the hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that, that social process must be even more difficult when you're working with, you know, two or three sites or a global organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the process of design um, actually helped to build the relationships that were going to be needed in the new world order. Yeah. So, so again, this is why organizational design is not reshaping the boxes and the lines on an org chart. <laughs> it really is so much more. It's a dynamic, generative process of bringing people together to talk about what's our core work and, and who's going to do what and, and how we're going to relate to each other. Yeah. And that relationship, I think, I, I would think during the process, it may uncover a lot of resentments or, or other things or challenges that have, that have occurred within the workplace. How does organizational design contribute to that bottom line? Mm -hmm. Well, so I believe that, you know, organizations have three big levers. So, so leaders have three big levers in terms of organizational performance. One, of course, is their strategy. So given our mandate, like firm, firmly understanding who we are and what our purpose is. And for many organizations, their purpose is shifting. And I'll just give you an example. I was working with the government uh, department a number of years ago, and their mandate really shifted from compliance. Uh, so what we do is we regulate and we hold people to standards, and then we fine them, <laughs> to actually facilitating and enabling performance, huh. right? Which is a huge shift in yeah. terms of mindset, purpose and capabilities, as well as the relationship that you would have with your with your clients. And I think that's happening um, across the board in many government um, uh, departments. Um, so, so f you know, purpose and strategy is one. So how, you know, who are we and how do we compete? And what's the value that we need to create for our citizens or for our clients or for our partners? Next is your talent. You know, do are we ingesting um, the right talent, and then are we cultivating that talent? Um, because organizations, as we said earlier, they run on people, mm -hmm. right? People's ideas, people's will, people's energy, um, and people connecting around the right work. And then number three, I think of organizational design as the platform that people work from. And so you can just imagine if, you know, I sometimes think about <laughs> in the old days, um, I love to ski. And in the old days, people used to have to walk up the mountain with their skis on their back and then ski down, right? Um, the infrastructure wasn't there for them. Right. And that's kind of what organization design is, is what's the infrastructure that you need to, behind your people so that they can do their very best work. And if we don't have that infrastructure, then they can't pull from, you know, the right resources, the right leadership, the right relationship, the right tools, um, and, um, and, and so their, 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 their work will not be, um, 
um, am amplify to the same extent. So I think all three are really important. We need to have, uh, we need to know who we are, mandate. We need to have the right strategy uh, in terms of how we're going to win. We need to have the right people. And then we need to have the organizational structure that creates the foundation and the platform for people to do their very best work. Now, so globally, um, you know, we need to have that, that platform in place to either think globally or work globally. Um, a lot of the organizations that I work with um, are, you know, based in Canada and they're national organizations. But even if they are based in Canada and they're not selling a product or service um, internationally, the standards are international today. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the last time that um, a CEO or a deputy minister hasn't asked the design team, well, when you, you know, you did your due diligence and your discovery work, you know, what did you learn about how they're doing it in Australia or in the U.S. or right. wherever? So what are the best practices out there? Yeah. And, um, and then how are those new standards uh, impacting how we need to, to, to work? So it, the world is much smaller because of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You talked about, oh, interesting, you talked about the tools uh, and the resources. And, and to me, that um, what, what came up for me was investing, investing in your people, investment in, in you know, giving them the right tools. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people think of organizational design as being, um, you know, process that is, you know, we have to do things the right way and we have to make sure they have a computer. But I think for you, it goes a little bit deeper. You talked about cubicles and no longer cubicles and lunchrooms and things like that. How much does actual physical design come to play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think that, you know, so there are three building blocks um, of org design, or that's how I think about them. And so what I mean by building blocks is when we actually go to design the organization, what are we shaping? And so we can shape the way people are grouped. And so that's sort of the, that creates your foundational logic model. So who needs to be grouped together in a unit or in a team or in a department? It could be all kinds of different scales um, because they share common work and common capabilities and they need to interrelate with each other around that core purpose. Um, once we have the groupings, then we need the linkages. And so that's like the connective tissue. And more and more, those linkages are fluid and um, constantly changing and flexible. And so what I'm seeing more and more in organizations is that people have a homeroom. I'm, I'm dating myself here. Um, <laughs> when I went to high school, we had homerooms. <laughs> I often have to describe this to, to the students in my class. It's like a long time ago. <laughs> in high school, we had homerooms. And everybody in your homeroom would gather, and you'd have announcements, and there'd be, you know, a sort of a social scene. We'd play some cards. <laughs> yep, yep. And, um, and then we'd all go out to our classes, and people would disperse in all kinds of multiple configurations. And that's essentially what's happening in organizations now is that, um, you know, there's the home room, which is our functional unit that we belong to. It's kind of like home. Um, and then <clears throat> we're out there interacting with all kinds of different people and all kinds of different projects and, and playing different roles. And so a lot of projects um, that are happening. So those relationships are much more fluid. And then there's the behavioral piece. So um, it's what kind of contribution do we need from folks? Mm. And from a contribution point of view, I'm thinking of more than just, you know, uh, the technical work, but I'm thinking about, do we need to be innovative? Um, do I want people to follow the rules? Do I want people to be 
um, uh, uh, um, passionate? Um, do I want, um, you know, what's the, ser what's the service um, mantra? And so I'll often ask people to think about how do I sort of capture that? I sort of, what's, what's the service promise? What's the behavioral code or the behavioral system that we want to facilitate? And I think organizations are spending a lot more time really thinking about behaviors. Like, how do you want people to interrelate? Mm. And how do you want people to connect? And how do you want people to help each other? And there's a whole wonderful literature, um, it's called social network analysis, that really shows that the way that work happens, the way, you know, people perform and knowledge is shared is through these relationships and so that they need to be open to each other and willing to help each other. And this comes back to space, the physical mm -hmm. space. And what I'm seeing in my research is that if people can see each other, um, they can make eye contact and they can sort of assess whether or not um, they're available for each other, and they can have a quick conversation, share knowledge, solve a problem, and then they're back to work. Um, so that's one of the benefits of, you know, taking the cubicles out <laughs> or certainly reducing, you know, the oh, size of the, of the cubicles so that people can actually see each other. Um, and then I'm noticing that, you know, if they have something that they need to work, if organizations have all kinds of little spaces where they can go, and they don't have to book a room three weeks in advance, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but they can just you know move into a space, write on the walls, have their meeting, and then again, fluidly, they're done and back to their desks, um, that they're so much more productive. And when I interview folks, that's what they tell me. They say, oh, yes, absolutely, you know, we have lots of formal meetings, but where work really happens and uh, is when we can just meet informally, get what we need from each other, and, um, and, then, and then get back to whatever it is that we're working on. Yeah. So, so, so that's one element of space. The other element of space is that it's symbolic. And, you know, it's really interesting when you go into an organization that has both open spaces and cubicles. And when you go into the cubicles, you can actually feel that the air is... I don't want, what's the word? Stale. <laughs> you know, people are not, and there's not the same level of energy right. um, that is um, somehow in the air. When you go into cubicles, you can actually feel it. You go into an open space and you can feel the energy. Um, it's palpable and people can feed off of it. Um, it's, 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 it's very interesting. Now, I know the downside to um, open spaces is noise. Yes. Yeah. And so I think organizations really need to think. And so this would be my, sort of my premise, is that it's you, your design solutions always have to fit a need. And so we need to think about who needs to connect with who and how do they need to connect? And then what kind of space do they need? Yeah. And so depending on the work and depending on the type of connectivity, and depending on how much, you know, peer outreach that you're looking for, peer helping you're looking for, that's going to determine how you're going to design your spaces. Um, not, you know, square footage and the cost of space, right? right? And so I think that's, um, that's the, wrong, the wrong reason. Sure, we need to be efficient, but what is the work that people need to do? How do they need to connect? And then let's design the space that fits that need. And I think maybe also... Um, 
people feel valued when you give them a space that that is comfortable for them and works. For example, mm-hmm. you know the rise in standing desks or mm-hmm. sit stand desks or or different chair opportunities, so that people can feel like their work is valued enough that you know you care about their own physical health. Yes, people talk to me about um, there is that sense, and I think that that's part of the you know the whole behavioral system is that when organizations provide for their people and really truly want to create a space that that people want to be in and show appreciation it's not so much the perk that matters it's not so much that you know you've got the fresh bowl of fruit or the yoga class at lunch um it's 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 more symbolic than that. You know, they'll often say, you know, we've got the yoga classes and I hardly ever get to attend, but I'm so glad that they're thinking of us. Right. And what they're showing us is that it it matters. And for the people who do go to the yoga, they really appreciate it. But this whole this whole sense that they appreciate us as people and the talent that, that we bring, I think is really huge. And I don't think that most organizations understand that. Mm. Yeah. Good point. So I'm interested, when organizations come come to you to uh, to get your help, are they coming because they're in trouble? Or are they coming because they, they see a new opportunity? Or is it a mix of both? Hmm, that's a very good question. I think organizations generally come to me after they've made a decision that they know they need to transform in some way. Um, but they, they, and they also know that it's big. <laughs> they know that it's more than the org chart change. Right. And I think a lot of organizations have um, fallen into that trap and it hasn't been successful. And the, the results have been disappointing or superficial. And so they know they need to change and they don't know how. And so they, they want to process. And so I think most, you know, senior leaders now understand that design is a process um, that you need to work through mm-hmm. and that we need to engage the right people to, to do so. Um, and so um, they, they come to someone who is unbiased, who can help to, to lead. Uh, and it's interesting because when I started this work 20 years ago, People used to think that I would have their answers. And, um, and so I'm very, very careful to come with a process with lots of questions and with some constructs and frameworks and with some experience um, to sort of help to frame up issues and opportunities. Um, but I certainly do not have their answer. Um, <laughs> they, they, they have their answers. And if you think about it, you know, it would be just silly for organizations to think that a, a consultant or a single individual can know how they should be designed. It's so much more complicated than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, you um, you teach courses and um, you have a, a course called uh, Designing Collaborative Workspaces. Can yes. you tell me a little bit about that and who, who attends and, and, and what do you cover? I, 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 um, I design the collaborative work program um, or designing collaborative organizations program at, well, I guess two reasons. One, it's my passion. And so that's also my research topic. And that is, um, what are the factors that create collaborative organizations? And that came from two sort of uh, insights. Um, One is, I have not been part of an org design effort in the last 20 years that hasn't required collaboration. And um, and every design that I'm uh, engaged with right now, 
and over the last five years has really been around transforming how people interrelate in the organization, right? So um, organizations that are designed as divisions with, um, they often call them, their word, not mine, stovepipes or silos. And so the division works separately to deliver a product or service. And what we're finding is that those divisions need to cross-pollinate and there needs to be good connectivity across those divisions in service of either a solution that the organization designs or a customer right. uh, that, they, yeah. that they meet. And so you hear lots of wrapping services around um, the customers or the clients these mm -hmm. days. So a real, real need. Um, and then also a recognition that um, in order to create Inter better integration and collaboration in organizations. What what organizational leaders often have done in the past is they've tried to solve it by doing one thing. <laughs> and so they might add in a team, and then they would expect that that team's going to create the necessary collaboration. Or they might add in a role, and it might be an integrator. Um, but of course, if you just add in one thing, or even a couple of things, and you actually haven't baked it into the organization, it's not embedded, so that it's part of the system, then then the organization's going to push back. It's it's going it's going to resist because it's not going to, you know, be the way that the organization's designed. It's not going to be true to the organization. And so that really is why I have the question that I do is like, how do you bake collaboration into an organization? So what is the collaboration that you need? Because it's not collaboration for the sake of collaboration. So given our work, who needs to link with who and how, um, and for what purpose? And then what are the mechanisms that you can bake into the organization so that it's authentic and it's real and um, it's, it's, part of, it's part of the system? So that's what the program is all about. And who comes? Well, anybody who you know has recognized that they need to think more seriously about connectivity. Often people have tried to build teams, but you know, they do. They can do some good work, but then maybe the work that the team has, the product or service they pr produce doesn't get embedded because somebody else says, no, that's not what we wanted. Or um, there might not be alignment at the top of the house amongst senior leaders, or it just it's just not authentic to the organization. So, um, so it's about, you know, really coming and exploring in a very deep way what kind of collaboration do we need, and then how can we begin to work with our organization to have those conversations um, around what it might mean for us? So then, do you encourage more than one person from the organization to come? So maybe a team that so oh, that they yes. come back with the same <laughs> yeah. mindset. I love that for every program. Yeah, um, because you know we all need to have an ally <laughs> in our mm -hmm. learning. And the more people who can come, well, for, for a number of reasons, the more people co who come, are they, they, now they've got a common language, some common constructs, and they've had some common conversations. So they get a bit of a head start in the classroom. Um, but then it's so important to have an ally when you go back to the organization to help to, to sort of shape the story and to engage, engage people. It makes it so much easier. So yes. absolutely. Yeah. I love it when people can come with their internal clients or as a leadership team or as a design team. Absolutely. Yeah. And then when you go into an organization, not not part of the courses, but when you're asked to go into an organization, mm -hmm. what's your approach there? Because I could see, it, particularly if the organization's been in trouble, so if there's morale issues or whatever, I can see people going, oh, yeah, they brought in a consultant. Yeah. You know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That person's going to make me do things I don't want to do. And yeah. So, so how do you approach that? Yeah. So... Um, 
Uh, absolutely. I, I come at it from um, a point of view um, that I'm really rooted in. And so part of that, is, again, my role is to be a process guide. And so what I do is create space for conversations. I might have some questions that are going to be helpful for them to um, explore, but my job is to help them talk to each other, help them to explore, and then listen intently so I can pull out what's, Im what's important to them in terms of the problems they want to solve, the issues they want to tackle, and their aims, their aims and their aspirations. So they need to own it. And so I'm just there as a help and a guide. Um, and, and number two is that I really think that it's important to work with the leadership group as a group so that if they are the leaders of the system, that I give them, I give them the space so that they can talk to each other and connect with each other around what they want to do and how fast they want to go and what the pace might be, um, what their boundaries might be, so, so that they decide together. Again, it's theirs. And then I help them to think through who else do we need to hear from. And so I'm a huge believer in collecting um, data. Um, we call it the discovery process. So once we understand our focus and scope, we go and do, do a discovery. And discovery might be, um, you know, collecting insights from best practice organizations. Um, but it always involves um, going to the people in the organization who are either a customer or um, a partner, or the folks who actually do the work uh, to tap into their expertise in terms of what we need to be designed to do. And so I help, I help the leadership team, the design team, listen <laughs> and learn and bring that back to them and then say, okay, what do you want to do with this? How do we want to bake this now into um, our design concepts? So my job is, so uh, my job is not to tell people what to do or to direct and control, and I help them understand that. My job is to really support the leadership team and to have the right conversations with with each other as well as with the larger organization. So to 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 to, to learn um, from their people, and then um, again just to 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 uh, reiterate, not, it's not about shaping boxes adding a box or taking away boxes from the org chart. That is, you know, a byproduct. It really is about identifying capabilities and then figuring out how we're going to bake them in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that softens it. <laughs> people <laughs> people are reassured when they know I'm not there to, you know, to chop or to add or to, you know, to mess things up. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm there to help. <laughs> to help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So... You know, it, it, to me, it sounds fascinating. There's so many ways that you can approach things, and it really is sort of problem solving, but mm -hmm. also creating new opportunity. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite part of all this? What, what, when you get up in the morning, what gets you all excited about <laughs> this? Um, it does. It, it is my passion, um, absolutely. So my favorite part, I think, is um, so often people are living with bad design, and they don't know what to do with it, and so it can be draining. It can be really hard on on folks, um, and so my what I what excites me is that I think I give them hope and courage, and I really truly believe that they can do it. Like there is a better way, and we can do this. We can we can bake in new capabilities to the organization, and um, and, and so you know let's do the work and let's be aspirational. Let's be generative. Let's think big. 
And, and then what we'll do is we'll back it off in terms of the reality, in terms of um, you know, how we're going to phase it, how we're going to approach it, how we're going to build the capabilities. Um, you know, we used to think about design as something that one day you were the old organization and then we announced the design and we're a new organization. Something magical <laughs> happened and we're new, right? Um, and of course, that's just silly. And so um, just helping organizations recognize that, oh, if we've got capabilities to build, this is going to be a process and it's going to be a journey and we're going to tackle them. Um, over time. And so this is something that's just going to be fluid, and it's going to evolve. And design should be something that we're doing all the time. Like, we're going to constantly be tweaking how we do things. So um, when I can bring people together, lots of times in the discovery process, we'll have, you know, 100 or 200 people in a room. And having, you know, experience the energy and the hope and the courage of people and the connectivity. I mean, when I'm driving home and in my car, it's like I'm flying. <laughs> it's like I'm on cloud nine because I just, I feel that energy and that hope. And um, it really, it's a wonderful feeling. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Brenda. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. This is Nancy Corrigan from Channel 3 Communications, and you've been listening to Channeled, our podcast podcast. 